Uh, <laughs> all right, let's, let's move on to the message. Last week, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Romans 12. Uh, last week, we, we began a short series just last week, this week, and next week on the marks of Jesus's family that, that spill over outside the church. These are things, so like, you know, Bible study and prayer, those are things that really happen within the church. Yes, they sometimes spill over, but there are certain aspects of the church that always spill over. They cannot help uh, but being spilled over. And last week we talked about walking by the Spirit and how when we are walking by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit comes out of our lives. And you cannot hide love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. They, they spill over on everyone around you, right? And so when the church is walking by, by the Spirit, it will spill over into our relationships at work, into our relationships in the community, um, in serving with the children on Sundays. Um, today, the second mark, second mark of, the, uh, of the church that we're going to talk about is, the, uh, is, is hospitality, is, is welcoming people like Jesus does. Um, hospitality is the biblical word. It gets used a lot now in relation to the hotel industry, which I, I understand that. Um, but uh, so don't think hotel industry. Uh, actually, the truth is Christians have the cor- have the corner, historic corner on hospitality. It's it's something that has marked the church. Um, and today we're going to see Jesus's family practices hospitality because his po- hospitality made us family. The very reason that you and I are in this room, if you're a Christian today, sitting in this room today, the reason you can look at brothers and sisters in Christ in this room and feel like you belong, like there's a connection, is because Christ has welcomed you in. He's welcomed you in, welcomed us in, and made us family. As I was preparing for this message, a phrase kept coming to mind for me, uh, this this phrase uh, just in the last few weeks of making space for the one. Making space in our lives and our schedule and our resources for the one that God puts around us in our path that we might welcome them. Um, so we're going to look at three questions today and, um, and then answer those. The first is, what is hospitality? Then why, hospi- why practice hospitality? And then how do we practice hospitality? Grateful for um, Pastor John Tyson for uh, some material for today's message, just some quotes and things that I borrowed from him. Um, but let's talk about what is hospitality here. Let me set you at ease. Hospitality has nothing to do with home goods store, has zero to do with Southern living, has nothing to do with decorating a home, has nothing to do with cooking. It has zero to do with uh, putting dead leaves on your table uh, in the fall uh, when people come in. It's zero, there's nothing to do with it, okay? That is, that is for people who uh, have an artistic bent in that direction. I do not. I'm like, there's a table, let's eat. Um, my wife is the one that puts the dead leaves on the table. No, no. um, <laughs> but that's okay. Like th- that's the beauty of it. I can acknowledge I do not have that gift like that, but I still am called and I enjoy the, the, the calling of hospitality, um, of welcoming people in. The word hospitality literally means, uh, it's a compound word in the Greek from two words, philos, which is the, the word love, but not general love. It's brotherly love. That's where we get the Philadelphia is from, is, is a city of brotherly love. So philos is brotherly love and affection. Um, and, and what's weird, and I would argue in our culture, it's interesting, the Greek, Greek had four words for love. Um, we, don't, we only think of romantic love. The only love that really gets talked about in our culture is romantic love. We don't have a framework for philos, for brotherly affection or friendly affection uh, towards others. But that's what this is talking about. So it's philos plus another word, xenos, which is where we get our word xenophobia from. Stranger, right? Other, someone unfamiliar. 
And so literally, philos is, um, our hospitality is loving the stranger. That's what the word literally means. Um, and so let's take that idea and import it into Romans 12, because Romans 12, the, the whole passage we're looking at, just this phrase, and we're going to look at some others as well, but this phrase that we're looking at today in Romans 12, 13, is in the middle of a huge section on, uh, on love. On, it's, it's the passage where he says, outdo each other and showing hospitality. And then in the middle of that, he just throws out, seek to show hospitality. Uh, literally, the, the, the verb means to pursue hospitality. It is a continuous action, meaning you are to pursue hospitality today, and then tomorrow when you get up, you're, you're to pursue, pursue hospitality. And then the next day, you're supposed to pursue hospitality. It is literally a calling. It's literally something that you and I, it's a trajectory or a flavor of our life that we are to have as Christians. And the question is, do people feel welcomed around us? Do we pursue hospitality? I'm not talking about here on Sunday. I see, you know, I love it. It warms my heart when I walk in or when I look around and I see us greeting each other, hugging each other, smiling, uh, and, you know, talking. Like, that's, that blesses me. That's one type of hospitality, and that's important. But that is not the extent of hospitality, right? Hospitality always extends to the stranger. And so who is it? that God has put around you and that's a stranger at some point in the last week, month, year is a stranger and would they feel like you were hospitable? Do you make, did you make space for them? So then looking at another passage, 1 Peter 4, 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This appears, by the way, right after one of the other passages in the New Testament where it says love one another. <laughs> And so hospitality is always an extension of love. Now, the, what Peter is emphasizing here is great. <laughs> He's not just saying, show hospitality. What does he say? Without grumbling. So he's kind of getting at the attitude, right? Because you know, you, you've done, have you done it? You've done something nice for someone else, shown hospitality, but your heart's not really in it in the moment. You're like kind of angry that they're not grateful or you're kind of upset because they showed up late or whatever it might be. And you're just in that moment, you're kind of frustrated and you're, you know, you're grumbling internally about it. So uh, it's not simply about the action. It's about the attitude of our heart, right? That, 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 that matters. What good is it if I make space for people in my life, but I resent doing it and complain? Um, the other New Testament passage about that specifically mentions hospitality um, is Hebrews 13.2. Again, a command. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. This is not hospitality within the body. This is outside of the church. I mean, how else would you, how else would you entertain an angel and not know it, right? I mean, it's not your buddy. It's not your friend that normally comes over for dinner, this is someone new. This is someone different, someone outside of your circle, someone you're not familiar with, and yet you have welcomed them in. And this is actually a reference, or most scholars believe, just simply pointing back to the way Abraham invited um, the, the angels of the Lord into uh, to have a feast with them. How much is this needed today in our culture, this type of hospitality, openness towards the stranger? Um, Joshua Jipp, who's a New Testament scholar, he says this, hospitality is the act of, or process whereby the identity of the stranger is transformed into that of a guest. 
The primary impulse of hospitality is to create a safe and welcoming place where a stranger can be converted into a friend. The practice of hospitality to strangers very frequently hopes to create relationships and friendships between those who were previously either alienated at enmity or simply unknown to one another. I'm telling you that this, this is the, this may be the uh, most important activity that we do outside of our gathering on Sundays is creating space in our lives to welcome in strangers, to welcome in people who aren't in our circle, to welcome in people who don't think like us, to welcome into our lives people uh, who otherwise would not be there. And it, is not, it doesn't happen accidentally. Why do you think he commands it, right? Because it's commanded because you and I will tend to do what? Hang on to our own, hang out with our own, be with our own. And, and I would argue, like, there's some diversity around the room, diversity in our church. And yes, that's a good thing. And we have some diversity at our table together. But the truth is, it's very safe diversity because we know these people and it's very comfortable. And there's nothing that's going to really press on us that's going to be really different. Or we're not going to have to, like, bite our tongue because we disagree with something they share. Like, the challenge here is to practice hospitality in a way that I would argue doesn't make any sense to our culture. And if it wasn't enough that it's commanded, Jesus himself slides some, I mean, huge weight behind this in the parable of the sheep and the goats, which is the parable of the judgment in Matthew 25. In verse 35, those that were welcomed in to, to heaven, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Jesus literally says, when we do this, when we welcome other people, we are welcoming Jesus. Like regardless if that person follows Jesus or not, we're modeling. He's saying in that moment, we are experiencing Jesus. And this is a marker of his people. So when we practice hospitality like Jesus, we go to work with Jesus. We're making space for the one just like Jesus did in his life. So why are we to practice hospitality? Why are we to be hospitable? Well, the opposite of hospitality is not neutral. It's not, well, you know, I'm not a very, I'm not into hospitality. I'm just kind of a neutral Christian. No, it's like, I'm not into holiness. I'm just neutral. I'm not into loving others. I'm just neutral No, (laughs) if you are not loving others, what are you doing? You're unloving. If you are not hospitable, you are inhospitable. That's a fun word to hear. When speaking of an environment, the word inhospitable means harsh and difficult to live in. When used of people, it's unfriendly and unwelcoming. I'm going to combine those and say, when you are inhospitable, you create an environment around you that is unwelcoming and uninviting to the stranger. Oh, you may have people who know you and love you and walk with you. And they're like, oh, I love them. They're so kind. They're gracious to me. That's great. And that's important. But a problem is when it ends with that, we're just doing what's, what's easy for us. Hospitality is not easy. And let me ask you a question. If we only love and, and welcome in those that we know, what does it communicate to the person that's not in our circle? 
I don't love you. I don't have time for you. And by extension, neither does God. It's the unspoken message that whether you want it or not, that lies about who God is because you can't make space. UK pastor Tim Chester uh, noted in Luke's gospel, it's full of stories of Jesus eating with people. And I'll say this right off the bat. It doesn't matter when, where, how. It could be a restaurant. It could be at your place. It could be outside after church and uh, watching the kids play on the playground. It could be anywhere, any space. Uh, Eating seems to be inherently tied to fellowship and to hospitality. So listen to what Jesus did to make room for the, the one and sometimes the many in his gospel. Luke 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. This was scandalous. He, he was eating with a room full of people. I mean, I'm not, I'm not being facetious when I say this. In our culture, it would be pedophiles and white supremacists. How would you feel about that if Jesus was like, this is my crew, I'm having dinner with them tonight. Be scandalous. And yet Jesus made... Space for the one. Luke 7, he anointed the feet of, uh, he was anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. Whole other spectrum. Wealthy, self-righteous religious people. (laughs) Still in desperate need. They looked a lot nicer than the tax collectors and the sinners, but they were just as, as broken, just as dead in their souls. Luke 9, he feeds the 5,000 literally made food. <laughs> He's like, we're just, we're having a banquet out here, everybody. Like, um, he, uh, at Luke 10, he eats in the home of Mary and Martha, who were his good friends. So there's fellowship, community, hospitality with, with good friends. Luke 11, condemns the Pharisees and teachers of the law while eating a meal with them. <laughs> um, sometimes hospitality is speaking the truth. Uh, Luke 14, at a meal when he, ur- he, at a meal when he urges people to invite the uh, poor to their me- own meals rather than their friends. So he's, at, he's eating with people, inviting pe- uh, challenging them to invite uh, people, poor people that can't pay them back. Luke 19, he invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. You remember that? Was well, it Zacchaeus like, hey, will you come over to my house? like, I'm coming over to your house tonight. <laughs> I love that. He was, I mean, again, this guy was a social pariah in his neighborhood. Uh, Luke 22, the account of the Last Supper was a meal. They didn't get little cups like this and peel the top back and eat a dry wafer that tastes somewhere like cardboard and sip about that much juice. (laughs) This was a meal. And actually the early church practiced uh, practiced it around what was called the agape feast. Uh, Communion was a particular part of the whole feast together. In Luke 24, the risen Christ makes a meal for his two disciples in Emmaus and then later eats fish with the disciples in Jerusalem. Do you see the theme here? Jesus is making space. He makes space in his life to be with people, to eat with people, and to, and to welcome them into relationship with him. Joshua Jip, uh, again, here he says, the entire ministry of Jesus is appropriately captured in the phrase divine hospitality to the stranger and sinner. You know, there's one person that um, Jesus made space for that we didn't really look at this list. And this person, I mean, wow, they were so far from God. They were completely dead apart from him. They were, they were, they were broken. They couldn't be further from God than they were. They were running headlong away from him. And yet God 
Christ pursued them, made space for them at his table, invited them in to relationship with him. Do you know who that person is? It's you, if you're a Christian. That's your story. Your story is that Christ made space for you. So we don't practice hospitality as a rule to be obeyed. We practice it as a response to our king who welcomed us in. I mean, you're sitting at the table. You've been invited into this table. And he invites you to go invite others. In this particular moment in our culture where, where people are, are like tribal and uh, divided and split and angry about everything, I just think hospitality is, is what maybe the great apologetic of our time. It is Christians loving people, inviting them to, into relationship with them, making space in our lives. It's treating insider, outsiders like insiders and strangers like family. So God welcomed us in as insiders through Jesus. So this, isn't, this is a command. Yes, you are commanded to do this, by the way. And if you haven't been doing it, you should feel some conviction over that. Or if you know there's areas of life you have not been hospitable, you should feel some conviction over that. That's a command in Scripture, repeated command. And Jesus himself models it. But you don't respond to the command by going, well, we'll invite somebody over for dinner this week. I guess that neighbor down the street or next door, we've been talking to them for a while. We could probably get them to come over. We should do that. Okay. Like, no, you're missing the point. It's not a rule to be obeyed. It's a response. You just need to dwell more on how Jesus has invited you in, how he's created family around you. And then go, Jesus, how do you want us to do that? So how do we practice it? We, well, I've hinted at it, but we look to God. He makes a space for us. Even today, right now in this room, I love the fact that every time the church gathers, God is, Christ is making more space. He's inviting, he's inviting you. If you're not a follower of Christ, you're not sure where you stand with Christ today, he's got the table ready. He's inviting you in. He's saying, come. I have made the way. I have prepared a feast for you in relationship with me to be adopted into my family, to know me, experience me, walk with me. And you can do that today. But how do we practice it? Sky Jathani actually just, talking about um, homes in general. I love this quote. He says, our homes are to be hospitals, refugees of healing, radiating the light of heaven. And our dinner tables are to be operating tables, the place where broken souls are made whole again. And our churches, people should find rest from battle for acceptance and release from the lie that they are nothing more than the goods they possess. When we lower our defenses, when we remove our facades and our peepholes, and we begin to be truly present with one another, then the healing power of the gospel can begin to work. I know one absolute fact about every person in this room. There are people in your life, in your workspace, at workplace, there are people that live next door or above you or the next apartment over uh, from you who are lonely, who are hurting, and they have no real friend. They don't have anyone they could actually really talk to about, the, about their pain. And here's the thing. They don't wear name tags. 
They're not wearing a shirt. I'm desperate and lonely, right? No, what happens when they come out? They come out in public and they're, you know, they, they look just like you and I. But when they go home at night, they don't have anyone that they can talk to. No one is there to listen to them. No one is engaging with them. They're not sure. Some of them are not sure there is anyone who loves them. And you and I have been put in their lives to make room for them. And, and I know, like, I know every person in this room. Oh, I'm sorry, not everyone. There's about th- two or three of you that really enjoy sharing the gospel with people. Like just throw you in a room with people and you're like, hey, have I told you about Jesus? Um, like that's just your natural bent. I love that. Those are in the New Testament, that's called the gift of evangelists, the, the, the evangelists. And we need them. You're great. I love that. Most of us are not super comfortable with that. Get it, right? Like, let's be honest. That's not our go-to. But what if hospitality is the cutting edge of mission? What if we began to stop being intimidated by the idea of, oh, I got to share the gospel with all these people and start saying, I need to share a table with these people. And if we start sharing the table with these people, then I'm telling you, in time, God will, through the spirit, will give you the moment, give you the words to say. If you are faithful and you're praying for them. And you can't wait. Listen, I know not everybody has a space in your home that you're like, oh, we can't, you know, I think I could host two people. Um, and me being one of them, uh, you know, because you're like, I don't, I've got no room. Listen, you do not need to wait until you have a, a nice space. Um, Teresa and I, uh, 11 years ago, bought a table for $50 from Goodwill. It's $50. And it has been in our home since then. And I'll be honest with you, it's a bit of a symbol for me. I'm, I'm, Teresa wants to buy a new table. I'm very, I'm a little, because it's, it's not pretty. It's not a beautiful table at all. It's kind of, if you look underneath it, some of the legs are kind of torn up and stuff. Uh, but this table has so many memories. How many of you in color have been around that table at some point? If you've been around for a long time. And I think about the people who have wept there, the people I've prayed with there, the people I've laughed with there. And you need a table. It doesn't have to be a big, ugly one. (laughs) The beautiful thing about our table is that it seats about six when it's closed, but then when we got a a crew coming, we can open it up. You know what it is? Open up and drop in, drop the leaves in, right? We've got three leaves. I think we can get like 10 or 12 people at that table. I think we've had 14 one Thanksgiving. Uh, (laughs) Not comfortably, but they were there. Um, And I just think about the table of Jesus. Is it full? Or is there more leaves for the people around you that God has wants to invite in? Will you make space? It's not easy. It's hard. Listen, there are times we have done hospitality and Teresa and I have walked away and wow, that was a miss. Like, I'm not even sure those people will ever talk to us again. Um, like, or they came in late or they seemed super ungrateful or highly distracted the whole time or they didn't talk to us or we had no fruitful, real fruitful conversation below the weather and somebody's job or something like that. That happens. Listen, you can't do mission and not get frustrated. It's part, you live in a broken world and you're, even Jesus got frustrated, right? Like Jesus, Jesus was kind of, you know, he's kind of the alpha mission guy, right? If you look at his life and ministry, he had people trying to kill him. He had a rich guy that was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in. I'm sorry, I'm out. Like just walks away from him. Like that's going to happen. But you are not there for you. You are there for Jesus and others. 
And as long as you keep that in focus, then you'll hold your heart a little bit looser in this. Alan Hirsch is a, a British uh, pastor theologian. He says, if every Christian family in the world simply offered good conversational hospitality around a table once a week to neighbors, we would eat our way into the kingdom of God. <laughs> I love that. So let me, let me hit a couple of ways that, that we can practice hospitality. Uh, first, when we're gathered as a church. I have heard countless stories over 12 years. I don't even know how many people. Koa's friendly. Like, and and I, I really enjoyed your church. I really enjoyed visiting. People were open. People were kind to me. Uh, many of the, those of you who stayed around over the last 12 years, it's because you felt welcomed. But as we grow as a church, that is always in danger of sliding off the plate. Why? Because as we grow, we know each other, right? We know we, we've got our crew. We've been in here longer, so we know our people. We've got our people on Sunday. We can see them, talk to them. That's, that's easy. That's fun. That's life-giving. But in September of this year, next month, we will likely see more visitors, more first-time visitors than uh, any month in three years, maybe more. Next Sunday will be a lot of new first-time visitors. The question is, will they feel welcomed? Um, so I want to encourage you to think about them. What's it like to move to a new city and show up at a church where you know zero people? You've got your posse, you've got your friends, you've got your people you can talk to. They have no one that they know. What, do you, what are they looking for when they walk up stairs? They're looking for a face that connects with them, somebody that smiles somebody that walks up and greets them. Now, I, I don't think we have any of those people at COA that's going to be really obnoxious. Like, Hi, how are you? We're so glad you came here today. Now, they might turn and like, I think I left something in my car. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> But welcome people. Just make eye contact. Smile. Say hi. Introduce yourself. Ask them how long they've been coming. How does it feel to be at a new church in a new city? How does it feel to be taking the huge step of going to church for the first time in your life? Think about how that person feels when they walk up. Think about the person who's maybe been away from church for a long time. They have wandered away from the Lord and they're coming back and this is the first space they enter. We need to welcome them. So I saw a list recently, recently from uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, who's the... Um, is an author and a brilliant theologian. She's actually a member at Hope Fellowship Church in Cambridge. Um, I, if she wasn't, I would openly try to recruit her. Um, but uh, but she, uh, she shares three rules that her husband has uh, in relation to the church um, and, and, and gathering, and, um, and then I add three of my own. But this is what she says. Number one, a person alone is an emergency. When you are a regular, you're a member here, and you see a new person who is by themselves, just, you may have to step out of a conversation. You may have to walk away from someone else, say, hey, I'll catch up with you after the service and go say hi to them. Um, your friends can wait. You know who's going to be here 10 minutes after the service is over? Your friends. You know who will not be here 10 minutes after the service is over? New people. They come early and they leave as quickly as possible. Understandably, right? They don't know anybody. <laughs> And so, um, like, if you come late and you only talk to your friends after the service, who's talking to them? Who's welcoming them? 
Thirdly, introduce a new person to someone else. I found that super helpful because the person and I might not connect on a deep level, but I'm almost always like, hey, have you met so-and-so? They're great. And, uh, and usually end up kind of handing that conversation off and they end up talking, find out they actually have something in common. They're scientists and I'm, I'm, I'm a theologian. I'm like, that's, I love it. It's interesting. Science is very interesting to me. Um, but you do not want to have a scientific conversation with me. Um, fourthly, ask good questions of people. Um, not just the typical, like, where are you from? You know, what brought you here? Are you working? Um, you were in school. Those are good questions, initial questions. But like, hey, what do you like about Boston so far? Right? What's the highlight of your week? These are questions that begin to get people to engage in a different way. Thank them for coming and acknowledge that it can be hard. Hey, thanks for coming today. I know it can be crazy to go visit a church for the first time. Do you know how much that sets a person at ease to like go, oh, okay, somebody actually understands, Right? And then finally, invite them to your CG. <laughs> I don't care where your CG is. I don't care what night your CG meets. Invite them to your CG. My favorite stories of, uh, early on at COA is I, I think that I, it was almost a competition uh, for four or five years of like, there's a new person. We're going to get them in our CG. You know, <laughs> they, they, I talked to visitors and they're like, I got invited to five CGs. <laughs> like, which one should I go to? <laughs> Um, and so invite them. And if they're like, well, I don't know anybody or whatever, you can always steer them. I'm doing a new Dakota CG again in September. You can always steer them that way. Um, listen, hospitality will cost you something. It will. Um, to, because it costs Jesus something to, to, to welcome us in. One of the reasons our setup team and prayer team are so important on Sundays is not because we need some chairs done, Right? We take a school and turn it into a hospitable place. Do you know who the signs are for? If you have been coming here more than two weeks and you don't know how to get into the building or where the entrance is, maybe, I mean, we've got some people that are scatterbrained. I get that. Um, where is the entrance again? Uh, like, I get that. Maybe that's you. Um, but who are the signs for? New people. So when you set up signs, think about them. Pray for them. When you stand out here and greet people, yes, you're here to greet the church, um, but look for that person that doesn't know where they are or where, where to go. And then the prayer team does spiritual setup on Sundays at 9.15. They, I was in there with them this morning, and I love what they're doing. They're, they're like praying, praying behind the scenes. They're doing the spiritual work of hospitality, of asking God to really prepare us and to, to open the doors to people would feel welcome. So that's the church gathered, the church scattered, um, and I'm going to close. When we're scattered, our community groups, our workplaces, um, our homes. Um, quick show of hands. How many of you have jobs? Raise your hand high. I want to see them. Yes. Okay. God has given you a place to practice hospitality. Now, I know you might be thinking everyone there hates their job and looks like they want to hurt me. Um, <laughs> like... Great, the Lord's giving you fertile soil. You're gonna, your hospitality is going to really make an impact, right? But maybe it's bringing breakfast one morning, grabbing donuts on the way in. Maybe it is recognizing a, a co new co-worker has just joined the company. They don't know anybody. You be that somebody. Make space in your life for them. Hey, do you want to go to lunch tomorrow? I'd just love to get to know you a little more and welcome you to the company. Just create space. Not talking about passing out gospel tracts or wearing Christian t-shirts to work. I'm saying be welcoming. Be that 
catalyst for hospitality in your workplace? How, I think the question for you to ask yourself would be this. How would God want to use me to show hospitality to the people around me I work with? Then in your home, talk to your spouse and roommate. Ask them, what does it look like for us to practice hospitality? Listen, you have 21 meals. Everyone eats. I could have asked you all to raise your hands. How many of you eat? We all eat, right? And so you have 21 opportunities to invite another person in. You're like, well, I'm not inviting them to breakfast. Well, that's okay. Um, invite them to dinner. Go to lunch with somebody. It could be that coworker at work, but it could also be in your neighborhood saying like one night a week or one night a month, we're going to open up. We're just going to have dinner. We're going to eat, hang out, no agenda. I'm going to invite a couple people from my community group to help out and be uh, like fill the crowd out and invite two of my neighbors over. And that's it. That's hospitality. It's not hard. Don't make it hard. Step into that, embrace it, begin to see how God uses it. What if every community group at COA, and I give you full permission to do this, cancel if you're like, well, we can't do another, another week. Cancel your CG meeting. I'm telling you, mission is important. And hospitality is the cutting edge of mission. So cancel your CG meeting and say, we're just going to eat together on Friday night and, uh, and all invite like one friend that, that's not connected with Christ. That's it. Do it and see how God begins to work. On Thursday, um, maybe you can't go out and help people move, but I bet you got somebody moving in near you. <laughs> so when you come home from work or when you get out up in the morning and you head out, or maybe you have somebody, if, some, if one of you work at home or, you know, uh, like keep your eyes out for where people move around you, apartment above you, the apartment next door, you know, just nearby. And then over the next week, bring them something. I know it's awkward to knock on someone's door now. It is like, what do they want, right? Like you're like, I, is that the Jehovah's Witnesses again? Um, like, but seriously, you just say like, hey, I'm your neighbor next door. Here's some food. Just wanted to welcome you. That's it. That's how hard it is. But you may have to stop watching Netflix at night to make the dinner, right? I'm telling you, you may have to, you've got to arrange some things in your schedule. John Tyson said this. I, I almost fell out of my chair when he said this. You may not be too sinful for God to use, but you may be too busy. Old preacher I used to listen to would say, ouch, if you can't say amen. <laughs> I was like, dang, like that. <laughs> uh, I, I seriously like stopped. I was like, my, my gosh, like that is so true. I think the enemy of hospitality today is not being inhospitable, like, well, I don't want to welcome anybody. It is being busy with other things. So how will you make space in your life? I want to close with this quote. Uh, I want to recommend a book on this. It's The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. Um, there is, by the way, on, the, on our Slack channel, uh, if you're on COA Slack, if you're not, we can help you get on that. But uh, on our general Slack channel, I literally should be posted any second now, is a list of some resources, including some podcasts on hospitality. So if you're not a reader, um, there's some resources there. Listen to what she says. Radically ordinary hospitality, those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. 
They know they are like meth addicts and sex trade workers. They take their own sins seriously, including the sin of selfishness and pride. They take God's holiness and goodness seriously. They use the Bible as a lifeline with no exceptions. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as a God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open the doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. So as we move into our time of response, for some of you, it it might be uh, taking some time to repent and to let God speak to you right now. Don't let this moment pass. If he says this week you need to invite this person, this coworker to lunch, you need to make a dinner with this person. Like, don't let that pass. I'm, this is one time I would tell you, pull your phone out and make a note if you're that person like me. I'll forget it. As good as my intentions are, 10 minutes later, I'll talk to seven people and I'll, it'll be gone. Like two weeks later, I'll remember, oh, I was supposed to, you know. And so if you need to do that, you do that. But who, how do you need to respond today? For those of you that have never um, been baptized, baptism is your next step. It's the initiation right into the family, right? It's the way, it's the marker of the, of the person joining the family of God. Communion is the ongoing right, an ongoing meal in the family at the table. But baptism is that sign of joining the table. And so for you, we're having baptisms on September 25th. We've already got, I think, three lined up. Um, we would love to, to baptize you. We've got a, a baptism class on September 11th. Um, and so you can sh- sign up for that on our website. Um, Christian, Jesus has set a table for you. He made a space for you. He made space for the one. You personally, not just his church in general, but you personally, he made space for. And communion is is taking that meal, the reminder of Jesus inviting you into the table. And let me ask you a question. If, if you were starving to death and someone who was your utter enemy made you an extravagant meal because they love you and invited you in to sit at the table, how would you take that meal? With gratitude and joy, wouldn't you? So prepare yourself in here if you need to, Christian. And then when you're ready, take communion out in the hall with joy. Rejoice in God's goodness to you and inviting you to his table. And then commit to go and do likewise. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Anytime over this next song, if you're a Christian, you can step out. If you're uh, not a Christian, this is the one part we'd ask you to... um, Stay, uh, stay at your seat. You can sing. You can walk with everybody if you want to. If you find that more comfortable, just make the circle. Um, but if you're a Christian, you'll go out in the hallway. The communion stations will be out there because we're not allowed to have food or drink in here. And then you make your way in the back. Um, but we'll just sort of slowly, as you feel led, um, go slip out. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you made a meal for us. And you paid the price to make space for the one. On the cross, you bled and your body was broken that we might be welcomed in forever to never be cast out, to be dearly loved, to be seated at your table as brothers and sisters adopted into the family by your blood. 
we take the bread and the cup, we remember that. We rejoice in that. We thank you for welcoming us. Help us to go and to welcome others. In your name, amen.